strange enough is a reading from Mark, which strange enough is our reading for today. We're going to hear this about three or four times. I say that because I want you to hear what, he, what the Word says. We might begin first this morning by looking at our Old Testament lesson as it sets the groundwork for our Gospel lesson. We read of Moses calling the people together in order to give them a prayer that will become the foundation of all their daily activities. It was a prayer that they would recite daily. They were to teach it to their children and write it over their doorpost. It would become a watchword that would describe their relationship with their God. Now this morning's gospel reading should sound rather familiar since it's recorded in three of the four gospel writers. While the accounts differ somewhat between Matthew and Mark's writing and that of Luke, most biblical scholars agree that, that they're probably accounts of the same events, simply seen from, from different perspectives, as is so often the case when we're reading the gospel accounts. It's not all that difficult to see the similarity between the writings of Matthew and Mark, since again, biblical scholars tend to agree that Mark's gospel was first. Uh, and that Matthew drew a good deal from Mark's writings when he was composing his own accounts of the events in Jesus' life. So when we compare those two accounts with that of Luke, we may see some differences, but we can also recognize the similarities. We do know that this was the last of the questions posed to Jesus in order to trap him by the scribes and the Pharisees. In previous chapters through the weeks, we have listened as Jesus has been asked various questions on numerous occasions on a wide variety of topics. And in each instance, the intent was to trap Jesus into giving an answer with which they could find fault. A few weeks ago, Carol and I were here, and, and the bishop spoke that morning to remember about divorce. Remember, Jesus was asked if it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And Jesus went back to the original teachings of Moses in answering their question. Actually, as was so often the case, Jesus didn't really answer their question at all. Rather, he posed his own question to them. And then he referred, he said, what was it that Moses had said about divorce? And then he used their response as a springboard for his own reply. There was the occasion when Jesus asked if it was lawful to give tribute to Caesar, remember? And again, Jesus' response left the religious leaders speechless. And this morning's lesson, a scribe or lawyer, depending on which translation we're using, asked Jesus a question. We might call it a, a mega question. Which comes first? What, what's the greatest? You know, man has always enjoyed asking those mega questions of one another. We love to debate the answers among ourselves. What's the greatest empire in history? Was it the Greeks? Was it the Romans? Is it the U.S.? Who was the greatest American leader? Was that Washington or Lincoln or Roosevelt or Reagan? Baseball. Who was the, who was the greatest baseball player in history? Ted Williams, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, a football, Jim Brown, or Jerry Rice, or Joe Montana, or Walter Payton. Basketball, it had to be Michael Jordan, right? Or oh, was it Mike, Mike Magic Johnson? Or Larry Bird, or, or Walt Chamberlain, or Bill Russell, or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? I think I'm dating myself. 
greatest movie of all times. Gone with the Wind. Casablanca. The Godfather. The Great Escape. I know I'm dating myself. But you see what I mean? We could go on and on asking these mega questions and more often than not we'd never agree on the right answer. But in our lesson this morning, it's about a scribe that came to Jesus with a mega question. And Jesus had the answer. Duh. <laughs> the scribe asked, what is the greatest of the commandments? But Jesus' response uh, gave the man two answers rather than just one. And in Matthew's account, he went on to say, and on these two commandments have all the law and the prophets. Now, we're all familiar with the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai. I love the story that tells of Moses when he had come down off the mountain and he had the Ten Commandments and he gathered the people and he said, I've got God from 15 down to 10. <laughs> but adultery's still on the list. <laughs> God gave the people Ten Commandments. But if we read through the, the five books of the Torah, we see that through the years, additional laws have been added to cover whole variety of areas by Jesus' time, there were literally hundreds and hundreds of rules and regulations that the people were meant to follow. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the sixth chapter, we read just a moment ago in our Old Testament lesson, a prayer called the Shema. It was a prayer that the people were to teach their children. It was a prayer that the people would pray several times a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. To the Jew, this was just as important as our Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed is to Christians. The first line goes to the very heart of the Hebrew faith. The Lord, Yahweh, our God, Elohim, the Lord, Yahweh is one. Yahweh was the covenant name given to God's people. Elohim, our God, is the only God. There is no other. Yahweh, he alone is God. There is no other. Jesus was saying to the religious leader, these are the basics. These are the fundamental understandings of the faith. They're, they're, they're not negotiable. We're to love God because of who he is. And to love God is to keep his commandments. I believe the repetition of the word all is significant because it stresses how we are to love God with all our heart. It speaks to our emotions, the real you and me. With all our soul, it speaks to our spirit, our self-confidence, our self-consciousness. With all our mind, it speaks to our intelligence. How's, how's your love life with God? How do you express your love? Is God the all-consuming passion of your life? Do you have a deep and abiding affection for the Lord? Are you loyal to God? Do you offend God's name and honor? Do you enjoy spending time with the Lord? Do you do things that please God and increase His joy? Do you brag about the Lord to others? Do you tell the Lord that you love Him? Do you talk with God as much as you can? Now understand, these are not things that we do in order to get God to love us. These are things that we need to do because we love Him and we know that He loves us. John said, I love Him because He first loved me. But then Jesus went on to give the lawyer more than he asked for. In essence, Jesus told the man, you know 
the most important law. But I'm giving you something else to think about. And how you respond to the first will have a direct bearing on how you respond to the second. You see, loving God and loving your neighbor are two sides of the same coin. You can't really do one without doing the other. You really can. It's interesting when we look at the original <coughs> Ten Commandments, we see that the first four commandments had to do with our relationship with God. We're to have no other God. We're not to have any idols. We're not to take the Lord's name in vain. We're to keep the Sabbath holy. Then the remaining commandments have to do with our relationship with our neighbors. Jesus was telling the religious leaders something they should know. When Jesus said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, that's exactly what he meant. If we truly love God and our neighbor, then we're obeying those commandments given by God all those long years ago to those people. We'll begin to read from Luke's gospel at the beginning of Advent, a new church here in just a few weeks, and, and Luke's account of this event will come up again, and we'll have the opportunity to refocus on this morning's lesson from Luke's gospel. I want to take just a minute to touch on something that's not a part of the account from either Mark or Matthew. After Jesus asked the lawyer the question in Luke's gospel, the man went on to say, so who is my neighbor? And you recall this gave Jesus the opportunity to do what? Good Samaritan, thank you. Give that man a gold star. <laughs> when I ask questions, you can answer. It's okay. <laughs> you see, the typical Jew hearing Jesus tell the people to love their neighbor, what he would have heard is love your Jewish neighbor. It would never have entered his mind think about loving his Gentile neighbor. But the parable of the Good Samaritan redefined the concept of what it means to have a neighbor, and it calls each of us to recognize that we're called to love everyone. Getting back to our reading from Mark's Gospel, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus had that last part in there. It wasn't part of the Old Testament lesson. The word and the Greek that's used here for love is the word agape, which means to love without any expectations of getting something back in return. It's a love with no strings attached. But it's also a love that's action-orientated. It's not a feeling. We're meant to demonstrate our love through our actions. In every event, it means looking beyond our own needs and taking actions for the care of others. To love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love God with all that we are. The Jewish people would think of the, of the heart as the center of thought as, as well as feelings. They would think of soul as that which gives a person life and strength. That refer to anything that gives us power. Be that physical strength or beauty or wealth, position, reputation. All those aspects in our lives would be given over in our love and devotion to God. Christ gave us two commandments, and he calls us to balance the two. The person who says that he or she loves God but doesn't love his neighbor is gravely deficient. John said, if a man says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who doesn't love his brother whom he's seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? That may be hard to hear given certain neighbors and co-workers and family members, <coughs> church members who we have. 
Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel that we were to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. That may be hard words to hear as well. Those aren't my words. They're the words of Jesus who said that we were to love our neighbor as ourselves. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. What's that mean? I don't think Jesus was advocating self-love as much as simply acknowledging our natural tendency to look out for number one more often than not. I think Jesus was asking you to me to extend that same kind of love and concern for others. All of us at some time have experienced the joy that comes from helping somebody else. And especially that's true when it's a person, a stranger maybe, that will never ever do anything for us in return. Our reading this morning concludes with the scribe acknowledging that Jesus has answered correctly. And he acknowledges that our love for God and our neighbor is far more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. That was said a lot for this Jewish religious leader who was accustomed to placing a great deal of significance on these rituals. It would appear that Jesus was pleased with the scribe's response. Jesus told the man that he was not far from the kingdom of God. Mean with those words. I don't, I don't think he was telling you, you need to work just a little bit harder. You're almost there. No, I think Jesus was saying, you're right on the verge of seeing that eternal life, that entering into the kingdom of God is a matter of heart, not ritual. It's about devotion, rather than beauty. Obeying the rules and the regulations will never get a man or a woman into the kingdom because none of us could ever do enough to measure up to God's standard. Need God's grace. What we need to do is to draw near to the one who has brought the kingdom of God near to us. And you and I can only draw near to that kingdom by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship that results in loving God supremely and others genuinely. I believe John was <clears throat> impacted by what Jesus said on this occasion as he witnessed Jesus during his passion and his death on the cross. I believe he saw in Jesus these two commandments lived out and put it on perfect display. On the cross we see that Jesus loved God supremely. We see that he loves you and me genuinely. This is why I believe that John will later say in 1 John, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one the psalmist said this morning, Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who observe his decrees and seek him in all their hearts. To love God is to love others. To love others is to love God. Two great commandments. Two great loves.